Richard and yeah. I have been working together for 10 years and I have been making fun of him for 10 years. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Risky Business Podcast. I'm Kath Welpley. And I'm Richard Schusler. We continue our conversation with KMOV's Chief Meteorologist Steve Templeton in part two of this episode. Can you talk a little bit about uh, flash flooding? What do you do in yeah. a case of a flash flood also as, as a person who might be in an area that has a warning? Because that's something that I don't, you know, I, of course, we've had floods in the past here in Missouri, but that's something that's not as frequent, I feel like, for some of us that, you know, I wouldn't know what to do necessarily in a flash flood if I'm in my home and I'm in an affected area. I know I'm not really supposed to try and fight a, a current or go drive into high water, but what do I do if I'm just sitting at a house? Yeah, that's it. You're good. Sit, stay sitting at the house. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is, is that <laughs> the reality is that more people, on average at least, in the United States, die from flash flooding than they do from tornadoes. Wow, we lose more people every year from flash flooding. And is that because uh, they do and, try to escape and go in a car and drive, or how do how does that usually it, happen? It is in a car more often. Um, it's usually at night. And for whatever reason, it's usually men. Not always <laughs> happen to anybody, but you know, when you look at the statistics, sorry, Richard, I just gave her firepower. Yeah. yeah. But but it's it's huh. usually at night, men yeah. and in a vehicle. Um, the flash flooding is preventable. Tornadoes can can rip the walls and roof off of a house, and you being in the house can be exposed and vulnerable. Flash flooding is preventable. You turn around, you don't drown. If you come across a flooded out road, or more often than not, it's what we call a low water crossing. So there may be, especially like um, as you get into more hilly areas, uh, the Ozarks, you know, uh, it, you tend to get these valleys where there might be a little stream or a little creek. Mm -hmm. Well, valleys is where all the water collects. So when you get heavy rains flash means it happens quickly typically six hours or less you get flooding so the flash flooding turns this small creek into this raging river and you can get swept in it this may be a low water crossing that you you've crossed over this bridge a thousand times and now there looks like there's just a little bit of water swiftly moving across it you don't realize it's actually two and a half feet of water and you try to drive on it and you get swept in and you're now part of the river going downstream um at night, you're more vulnerable because maybe you can't see, you mm -hmm. know, the water flooding out the road. But the bottom line is more often than not, the, the flooding occurs, uh, the flash flooding deaths occur uh, in a car and at night. And we've had some tragic, tragic um, incidents in the past couple of years in both Illinois and uh, Missouri. And they're just, they're preventable. And I think that's also why when you look at the statistics, flash flooding on average kills more Americans each year, at least storm related events than uh, anything else, more than lightning, more than tornadoes, more than hurricanes. Um, although hurricanes can create flash flooding. Right. Uh, and I think that might be why the emergency alert system on smartphones includes not just tornadoes, but also flash flooding, flash flood warnings. It is, it is amazing how easy it is. I mean, just, just don't go anywhere or, and this is the hard part, I think, for people. If they come across a road that they've traversed, you know, millions of times and there's water over it and they're like, oh, my house is just on that other side, though. It's, you know, five minute drive and I'm home or it's a 30 minute drive and I'm home and 
they don't take the alternative, which is the longer, safer drive. Full flooding is is tricky too because it 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 can it can be very isolated in nature. I mean, you you can have a stalled out downpour over one area, and some of the viewing area just hasn't gotten any rain. And so you know. It, it, it can impact such a small area and then you, you're not sure it's happening until you hear reports of it. And by then it may be too late. Some people right. have driven into it. Um, so it, it can be a real, uh, a real danger that we overlook, you know, kind of like lightning. Lightning is another danger we overlook because it happens all the time. And the reality is if you hear thunder, you're close enough to be struck by lightning. One of the uh, things I do in a storm mode tour and at some of my school talks, I show this amazing picture of a bolt of lightning this guy captured it's hitting the visitors bullpen at bush stadium mm-hmm. there are people in the stands and there are players on the field thankfully no one was hurt but you know if you hear thunder you're close enough to be hit yet we play baseball through that or we go out walk the dog and we hear thunder in the distance you should be thinking to yourself okay let me pop on my camel be weather app whatever app it is look at the radar and i see this storm coming at me I better get inside. So that's one of those overlooked things because we hear thunder, we see lightning so much. I think we do get numb to that threat as well. What's the demographics on getting hit by lightning? Men or women more? (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't have that stat for you. Mm. Men out on the golf course. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Caddyshack having the the round of their life. (laughs) No, but that's good. I don't have that stat. I think that's also something that people don't think it'll happen to me. I mean, I obviously I think tornadoes, people know the severity of it. Flash flooding is something where it's serious, but like you mentioned, can be so isolated. And then lightning, I, I just don't think people really think it's as severe as just hearing thunder. So it's good to have a reminder that if you hear that, you know, you need to be aware of where you are, make sure you're not standing near something that could be vulnerable, et cetera. So probably should be like yeah. a lifeguard when they yeah. when they hear thunder or see lightning, everyone out of the pool. Everyone out. Absolutely. That, that, I mean, that honestly is the safest, safest thing to do. Uh, but it, it it's hard to get everybody to pay attention. And at some point we can only preach the safety mantra um, so many times and the person has to take personal responsibility for following it finding a way to get the warning making sure they have a plan and making sure they have a safety kit is there anything additional that you feel like people really need to know as you know whether that's your procedure how you handle those situations gear that you should have in addition to a weather radio um i think uh i think something that probably needs to be understood is um, we talked about a little bit that um, Doppler radar is not perfect. And so we'll have these Doppler radar indicated tornado warnings and we won't know if there's a tornado on the ground or not. And so when we interrupt programs, we don't want to do that. We get hate <laughs> mail. We, we realize we're frustrating people. We realize someday you, you've had a long, hard day. You sit down to watch your favorite program, and there's my stupid face on TV <laughs> ruining it for you. Yeah. You probably get some pretty interesting hate mail uh, regarding <laughs> you know interruption of you days know, of our lives. Big, was ruined today. Yeah, it's like the finale uh, of Big Bang Theory, like uh, you know. Yeah, it's uh, the hate mail. It can be vicious, and and you know if I. If I don't get defensive about it, just try to. I understand where they're coming from, but I hope that people understand that we don't know how bad it is until afterwards. Right. And it, it 
it is tough to balance out a situation where you're like, you know, this could, this could be bad. I'm going to stay on a little bit longer. Um, and you want to be there for people if it is going to be bad. Um, some people are still coming in from the outside, turning on the TV. And if you're not there, you've let them down. At the same time, you're running a program. You really got to balance that out because they're, they're watching Channel 4 to watch TV programming. So you really only have you really only want to warn them when you feel like you need to. But just know that sometimes we don't know how bad it is until after. And I've, I've been through these experiences where you start to get calls and hate mail and stuff like that to the newsroom. And then all of a sudden you hear the report 30 minutes after the storm hit, a house was obliterated, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone's uh, roof was ripped off. And then you start getting some people that'll call back and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. It's like, well, we didn't know either. We were there trying to help those people. We don't know how bad it is until after. So we do our best. We do not want to interrupt programming. Um, so, so but at the end of the day, that, we hope that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, well, we just uh, at the end of the day, we hope that people um, get the warning and understand what's going on, and and maybe are comforted a little bit by the explanation of exactly where it is, exactly where it's going, and exactly what that threat is, which you don't get from just reading the crawl. You know. Right. Or uh, the sirens go off. Okay, the sirens went off. I know something bad's happening. What? And right. if you can turn on Channel 4 and we're there, then you know it's bad. If you turn on Channel 4 and it's crawling, then it's mm -hmm. not that bad. <laughs> yeah, when, when I see you with the radar and all the crazy graphics and stuff like that, and you're doing your measurements, uh, I, I remember as a kid, my dad liked watching weather radar on like the channel that that's all it was um, on cable. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the technology has come a, a really long way. Um, oh, yeah, it has. It's amazing. That. So I'm, I'm sure you've seen that um, over the years. Do you see that getting, obviously, probably getting better, but do you see any changes uh, to where maybe you, the modeling um, gets more accurate with tornadoes or, um, you know, potentially flash flooding or lightning or whatever it may be? Radar-wise, I think our next big leap will be a long, long ways off because it's an expensive leap. The best I understand, the next kind of generation of radars will be called phased array radars. Um, so it, it'll help cut down the amount of time you have to wait for a scan. Because right now the radar shoots out that beam of energy, and then it, it has to sit and listen for that energy to come back. And then it paints a picture of where the raindrops are. Um, and so that takes time, that scan. And so phased array is going to be much, much quicker. Uh, we'll get higher resolution. That stuff's on like, you know, U.S. Navy battleships, but it's too expensive to deploy nationwide for the weather service right now. Hmm. So that, that'll eventually come around. But in the meantime, there's been upgrades to radar that's allowed us, to, we can actually see debris in the air. Oh. Um, so there's a, there's a something called correlation coefficient and it tries to measure or, or look at the shapes of things that are in the air that the radar beam's bouncing off of. And when it's bouncing off of all sorts of different tall, fat, wide, long, crisscross shaped objects, and you couple that with the fact that you pretty sure based on other radar signatures, you, you had a tornado, then what you're looking at there is actually debris that's in the mm -hmm. air. It's pieces of a roof or pieces of, um, you know, uh, different tree limbs, different size tree limbs, uh, leaves, and, you know, potentially other things like parts of a, a home's wall or stuff like that. Uh, and that stuff can get thrown into the air like 10, 15, 20,000 feet. Uh, so radar can see a lot. It's, it's really impressive, the advances that have already been made.
pretty wild. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it cool. is, isn't it? Not cool to know you're you're seeing a roof, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, didn't know you could, I, yeah. I didn't know it could pick that up. Yeah, it used to be radar could only see like one plane, like you like you um, you slice from left to right, and that's all you can see. Well, now it slice it can slice left to right and up and down. So it can actually, in, in more of a three-dimensional almost uh, aspect, uh, tell the size of the raindrops or the debris and stuff in the air. And that was called dual-pole radar. I think that came out uh, maybe seven years ago. I don't know. I'm getting old. It came out, <laughs> you know, in the past decade. <laughs> now, do you see the, like, predictive modeling, um, I guess, getting more accurate? Because now I see that, like, on – I guess the weather channel site website, you can do like future radar and I don't know how accurate that is, but do you see that being, you know, more accurate or is that just kind of a, just, you know, guess that you guys do based on the, on the site. Yeah. There's not gonna be a lot of change in that. That weather channel future radar is, is pretty much a guess based on what's happening on, on radar. Um, and there's model data I'm sure that goes into it, but the, the, uh, the problem with, um, like the storm environment is you can't measure the storm environment, take that information, put it in a computer model and then have the computer model tell you what's going to happen in 10 minutes mm -hmm. because all that process takes, first of all, you, you don't have a thermometer and an anemometer and a hygrometer and a barometer right where that one storm cell is. So you're guessing. Second of all, if you did have all this information at the surface at 500 feet, at 5,000 feet, at 10,000 feet, which you don't have, but if you had all that information, to plug it into the model and have it crank out the result would still take probably a couple hours at least. So measuring the storm environment and then predicting it based on those current measurements is really, really a challenge. I, I don't see that happening in my lifetime unless computer processing power gets insane and somehow we have drones flying around measuring <laughs> the atmosphere at all sorts of levels all the time um, which is a thing you know dr drones can be helpful in the future but so I think when it comes to measuring that specific storm environment it's tough however we've gotten to the point where predictive modeling is getting higher and higher resolution so instead of predicting a big blob of green over the St. Louis area, forecasts can actually try to uh, forecast models can try to predict where specific tiny little isolated cells will develop. Now they may not develop in that exact location, but that tells me something about the type of storm environment. These are going to be isolated pop-up storms at first, and maybe they merge together into a line of storms. So that helps me as a forecaster because when they're individual cells. Uh, depending on other ingredients, you're more likely to develop tornadoes. Whereas when it's a line of storms, you've transitioned to a greater threat for wind damage and maybe brief tornadoes on the leading edge. So it, it changes the dynamics of your severe threat. And before we couldn't see that. We would just see a big blob of green. Well, so now so the prediction like models have much higher resolution. Yeah, you feel like you have a better idea of maybe what would be outcomes of that type of storm. Yeah, and I think that's helpful, you know, to tell someone instead of saying like, hey, uh, there's a chance of storms. Like an app might say 30% chance of storms. Okay, well, what, what, what does that mean? Like how bad, how heavy? Is it going to be long-lasting? Is it going to be brief? Is it going to be severe? 
But if I can go in the air and say, hey, these are going to be hitting this storms at first between four and six, but from six to 10, they're going to merge into a line either on St. Louis or just to the east. And that's when the severe threat really ramps up. Mm -hmm. That type of specificity helps people plan their lives. And we just need the forecast model to be right. (laughs) Yeah, that brings us to our our next question. So, I mean, I feel like you probably had to guess we'd ask, but, you know, obviously global warming, you know, whether you believe in it or don't believe in it, how have you felt like the weather, the ability to make your weather predictions is more accurate? Or do you feel like the environment changes so violently? Do you feel have you noticed a difference in weather patterns and their ability to be more inaccurate? Or do you feel like that really has been consistent? I mean, obviously, we had an an odd spring of being a pretty cold spring. Um, St. Louis has always gotten weird weather. I feel like we always get kind of a little bit of everything. But have you felt like it's still been kind of a consistent way to forecast it? Or do you feel like you deal with more inaccurate forecasts just because it's become more unpredictable? Uh, No, it it hasn't impacted my short-term forecasting, um, uh, at least not that we know, Mm -hmm. not that I can measure or anyone's talked about or seen. Um, And the reason why is there's a huge difference between climate change and weather. Um, Climate is is decades of weather compiled and averaged together, whereas weather is literally just, was it cold today? Mm -hmm. So climate change is very different than weather. And you can, even if your, your climate is warming, which ours is, even if our climate has warmed in the past 120 years, uh, doesn't mean you're not going to have cold winters. You will. Uh, so you'll have cold days. You'll maybe have fewer cold days or fewer cold uh, winters, but you're still going to have cold winters. You're still going to have heavy snow. Um, and so the, the climate change is just a broader, bigger compilation of data versus um, the specific, you know, was this storm caused by climate change? Never be able to say that. Or um, was today cold because of climate change or not because of climate change? You'll never be able to say that. So it doesn't really impact me in the day-to-day weather forecasting. Are meteorologists kind of like a fraternity of weathermen and and women, or do you guys get pretty competitive? Like, are you competitive with Kent? Uh, yeah, even people at K-Movie or, you know, Dave Murray or, you know, any other, uh, you know, meteorologist out no, there. Kent's my buddy. He's part of the team. So, no. Um, and PR fraternity, we, we wear robes and carry around candles and have secret um, society meetings. Yeah, there's a special handshake. Uh, no, there's no. <laughs> um, but there is, you know, what are we competitive? Well, I mean, our businesses are competitive. Um, but I don't, I don't see like a, it's not like a competition, like a pitcher versus a batter, you know, or, um, a guy on one side of the scrimmage and football, and the a guy on another side, one guy wants to tackle you and the other guy wants to run the ball for touchdown. It, it's not like that. We're, we're just doing the best we can. Um, and we'll let, you know, our managers and our, and our, um, you know, our business worry about the competition part of it. Although if you don't compete well, you won't be around long, that's for sure. Um, but I think when it comes to uh, meteorologists, the, the most important part of my job is warning the public when there's severe weather. And at the end of the day, if you're watching 
any channel, as long as you're watching somebody and getting a heads up, that's all I really care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like it to be me. I'd like you to trust me, and I'd like you to enjoy the way I do it. Long but, time you know, <laughs> how could you? <laughs> but how could I or, or any meteorologist ever look someone in the face who says, oh, I got a tornado warning, and I really liked it was from that other channel and <laughs> upset about that like how could you ever be upset about that aren't you happy that they're safe you know so uh, there, there's a higher calling when it comes to uh communicating safety to the public and you just hope you do it well and the, those that watch you appreciate you people probably think you guys plot against you know the public like oh it's gonna we're gonna have it rain yeah. on this day and you know you cardinals know. opening day <laughs> rain <laughs> yeah have you guys ever gotten wild no. like complaints where you're getting blamed for weather, right. uh, whether it be severe or, you know, people are like, thank you for giving us 73 degrees and sunny, you know, on my wedding day. Um, that- <laughs> yeah, there, it goes both ways. I mean, you'll, you'll catch a lot of slack when it's nasty and then, you know, days when it's nice, they're like, hey, good job. And, <laughs> you know, you smile, you smile, you realize they don't really think you made the weather, but it's just, <laughs> it's just a way to break the ice and say something and get a conversation started. And I love talking weather. So I, my line, I always like to tell them is, Hey, I predict it. I don't produce it. So, uh, they realize that, you know, I don't make the weather, but if they're happy, that's great. Cardinals saw home opener was fantastic weather and everyone was in a good mood. So that made me happy. Yeah. Um, Did you get, uh, any, any, uh, heat, like when you're out in public for, you know, maybe an inaccurate forecast or, you know, when you're spot on the, you know, spot on that day, um, and making that donation for being accurate, (laughs) do you kind of start around town a little bit, you know, with chin a little higher? So, okay, when, here's the thing. When when you're right, people expect you to be right, and you oh. never get kudos for that. Now, like with the Weather Channel folks, they have guys that are and gals that go out to, you know, stand in hurricanes or, you know, torrential downpours, whatever it may be. Have you ever, exper- you know, been live or done any outside reporting where you've been in severe weather? Uh, I've been storm chasing in Oklahoma, um, and How that was that? intense. That was intense. It was a bad day too. Um, the the forward motion of the tornadic storms, and I mean, at one time there, across the state, there might have been eight to ten of them. It was a, a real bad day. Um, the forward motion was like 60 miles an hour, which makes storm chasing really difficult. So you you get on one storm, and if you lose it, you're you're done for the day. And and we so we did. We were done for the day after this one storm had just gone too far up, uh, to the east of us, and then. I went back and did damage reporting and I've done damage reporting in, in Joplin, which is horrific and um, Tuscaloosa, which is horrific. And the, the Oklahoma one though uh, was unique for me because it had literally just happened. I mean, I walked up on this family's home and there's no walls. There's no, there's no inner walls. Uh, the wife is pregnant. They have two kids and they survived in a storm shelter. And, you know, how do you walk up to them and, and say, tell me about what happened. Can, can we, can you tell us your story? I mean, you have to be really sensitive to that, mm-hmm. but it's really amazing too that, and by the time we were there, it was probably within an hour and a half of the storm hitting, maybe two hours. And there were already friends and neighbors there helping them clean up. It was, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So, well, I haven't been in you know a hurricane like, uh, some people, um, I have been in anything from tornadic damage to uh, snowstorms. Um, 
nowadays, though, being the chief meteorologist, I tend to spend more time on the radar. And then maybe if there is a bad storm, like the Perryville tornado uh, last year, I'll go down and do damage reports on that. That one was particularly crazy, too, because if you recall, this is Perryville, Missouri. Yeah. I think it was uh, Mar- Mar- February 1st, March, something March. like that. Yeah, we have a um, co-worker who's from there, and I remember that last year. Mm-hmm. And it hit a, uh, and we didn't know this at the time, but it, it hit a salvage yard. Oh, and yeah, so right. right next to Interstate 55. So when you first saw a picture of the damage, there were about you know 12 or 14 cars on Interstate 55 flipped over and turned over. And you thought, oh, my gosh, first of all, why are there so many cars on 55 in Perry County at whatever it was, eight o'clock at night? And they all got hit. And so when we found out it was a salvage yard, I mean, it was it was just a sigh of relief because you knew there was no one in those cars in the salvage yard. They were just, they were tossed from the side of the interstate onto the interstate, making it look like uh, all those cars with people in them had had gotten hurt. Unfortunately, we did lose a a young man. He was like 24 Mm. um, to that storm. There was one fatality. That was interesting though. So it, every storm is different. Um, Every storm has interesting uh, damage um, and it, uh, we haven't had a whole lot recently. The Perryville one before that, New Minden, um, before that, May 31st, uh, 2013 here near the Riverport area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully we don't, hopefully don't have any more. I don't like, I mean, that's other thing. People think I like severe, I, I hate severe weather, but it's what my training is for. So we'll, we'll be here when it happens. Fingers crossed. We have a decent spring this year, hopefully. Won't be yeah. too, don't well, we're, we're, we're going to jump right into summer, right? Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I'm not a huge fan of the high humidity. No. But I, I'm tired of forecasting mornings in the 30s, which we've got a couple more to go, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, we really appreciate you talking to us again. We know you have my pleasure. You have a busy schedule. And you so. said this is only your second podcast, is that right? It is. Yes. It is. Yep. Good luck with this, guys. Good luck. You, you guys are are really natural just talking to people and asking questions. I think you're going to do great. Nice job. Thank All right, you. Thanks. We, we might, we might bring you back on later as a, you know, a, a reoccurring guest as a, as a fan favorite. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks right, guys well, for your have time. A good Appreciate night. It. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate your time and knowledge on this episode of the risky business podcast. For more information on severe weather readiness, please visit KMOV's website or contact HM Risk. Be sure to look out for our next episode of Risky Business Podcasts later next month.